Hey guys, this is Robert from Limitless Broadcasting. And Sammy. I was getting to you. (laughs) But we wanted to tell you some exciting news. We are going to be at the Indiana Comic Con, March 22nd through the 24th. That's going to be at the Indianapolis or... Indiana Convention Center. In Indianapolis, let's say that. (laughs) So if you were going to the convention, please come over to the Limitless Broadcasting booth Mm -hmm. and say hello. Yeah, I believe it was booth 1710. 1710. Yes, so it's a huge convention. Yeah. One of the... Probably the biggest one I think we've been to. Yeah, this is going to be like Megacon. Yeah, unfortunately, I will not be there in person. Robbie will be there, but he's going to have some uh, fun friends with him. Yes. Including, I believe, from Pixie Dust Twins, Ashley. First con for her. And so if you're there, ask us about Rant Radio because you can win $1,000 from Limitless Broadcasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very excited about that. And who doesn't love a good rant? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we will, or I guess I should say, Robbie, we'll see you soon at the Indiana Comic Convention. And what days are you going to be there one more time? Uh, we're going to be there the 22nd through the 24th of March. Mm-hmm. So we'll see you guys there soon. We'll see you there. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, it's Ashley and Sammy from the Pixie Dust Twins podcast. If you love Disney, you should come join the fun on our weekly show. Our podcast is family-friendly and talking about all things Disney. Whether you go to the parks or just love binging Disney+, Plus, we are the podcast for you. So grab your Pixie Dust, think happy thoughts, and join us on your favorite podcasting platform. Check out LimitlessBroadcasting.com and aim for the second star on the right and straight on till you land on the Pixie Dust Twins podcast. Your whole life can change in an instant. About 50 million adults in the United States have chronic pain. And because of a car accident, Robbie is one of them. In their marriage vows, Robbie and Sammy promise to stand by one another and provide strength when needed. And lately, they've been facing some of their biggest challenges. Join them as they share the ups and downs of living with chronic pain. Welcome to the Painful Truth of Living with Chronic Pain podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Sammy. And I'm Robbie. And today is a very special day because it is also sort of sad because it's part five of our five-part series inspired by Dopesick, a look into the family that addicted America. Today is... Exactly. You always have to do that. Today is the last episode of the series, unless something gets updated and we do an update. But as of right now, today is it. Well, that sucks. Yeah, but it's been a lot of fun. Uh We've gotten a lot of feedback on the show and people have really liked it. Mm -hmm. It's been, uh, yeah, just interesting is the word I'm going to use for it. Yeah. (laughs) For now. Very much so. So today's episode is going to be all about the legal troubles that fell upon Purdue Pharma and the Sacklers. 
Which they're still going to be billionaires, so don't feel too bad for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Exactly. All right, ready to dive into the episode? Yep. Okay, so we're going to start off back in May 2007. The company pleaded guilty to a to misleading the public about OxyContin's risk of addiction and agreed to pay $600 million, which if you account for inflation in 2021, that would have been approximately $784 million. So let me break that down for a second. Mm-hmm. For those of those people that are rat fancier, 50 Cent got $400 million for okay. vitamin water, okay. selling it to Coca-Cola. Okay. That's just a bit more uh-huh. than what they're paying. Okay. So I just wanted to break that down. And now you know how much 50 Cent made selling vitamin water. To Coca-Cola. If you didn't know. But anyway, continue. <laughs> okay. Anyway, this was one of the largest pharmaceutical settlements in U.S. history. The company's president, Michael Friedman, top lawyer, Howard Udell, and former chief medical officer Paul Goldenheim all pleaded guilty as individuals to misbranding charges and a criminal viol- which was a criminal violation and agreed to pay a total of $34.5 million in fines. Each of them or just total? Total. Okay. But I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm sure Purdue probably really paid for that. I'm sure. Yeah. Anyway. Friedman, Udell, and Goldenheim agreed to pay. Oh no, it's separate. I'm so sorry. You know what? Separate. I actually had it listed here. I I apologize. I put this together a little while ago and I forgot. So actually, Friedman paid $19 million. Let me go back up so we can. I'm pretty certain, even though they say it's separate, it's, yeah. Purdue paid, not, yeah. paid for it. So the company's president, that's Friedman, paid $19 million. The lawyer Udell paid eight million, and then the chief medical officer Goldenheim had a charge of seven point five million dollars. So that's where that total came from. I didn't realize I had broken it down. So look at me being all proactive. In addition, the three top executives were also charged with a felony and sentenced to four hundred hours of community service in drug treatment programs. What was the felony? The misbranding. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that's what they were charged with. Okay. Misbranding charges. I'm sure that 400 hours was useful. What do you think they really did with their 400 Probably hours? not what they should have. Probably. To understand what this actually meant for the majority of the country, but it is what it is. That's what they were. That's what the big thing was that they were talking about in the Hulu series. That they got was this this charge here where they showed at the end when they had the three executives that were charged this is what it was this is what it ended with right but there's more always more than what we saw there are a number of state lawsuits against purdue slash the sacklers all the way back in 2001, so even before this whole big thing that the Hulu series was focused on, 
In 2001, Connecticut Attorney General Richard Blumenthal issued a statement urging Purdue to take action regarding the abuse of Oxycontin. He observed that while Purdue seemed sincere, there was little action being taken beyond cosmetic and symbolic steps. So meaning they were acting like they were going to do something and they weren't really doing anything, which imagine is, that right? is, is true. After Purdue announced plans to reformulate the drug, Blumenthal noted that this would take time and that Purdue Pharma has a moral, if not legal, obligation to take effective steps and address addiction and abuse, even as it works to reformulate the drug. And remember, I told you the reformulation was just bullshit. It didn't matter. So there, Blumenthal is a smart guy. We're still calling them out on it regardless. Yeah. In 2004, the West Virginia Attorney General sued Purdue for reimbursement of excessive prescription costs paid by the state, saying that patients were taking more of the drug than they had been prescribed because the effects of the drug wore off before the 12-hour schedule, which is true. We know this is true. We said this is true. The state charged Purdue with deceptive marketing. In his ruling, the trial judge wrote, plaintiff's evidence shows that Purdue could have tested the safety and efficacy of Oxycontin at eight hours and could have amended their label, but did not. The case never went to trial. Purdue agreed to settle by paying the state $10 million, which would be equivalent to about $14 million in 2021 for programs to discourage drug abuse. And all of the evidence was sealed. So can't even see what all they they had brought about although we could guess because we've talked about this to death so yeah it's not like we don't know what they would have shown right 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 on October 4 2007 Kentucky officials sued Purdue because of widespread oxycontin abuse in Appalachia again that was like the main Main starting point yeah a lawsuit filed by Kentucky then Attorney General Greg Stumbo I may have butchered that, Stumbo, Stumbo. And Pike County officials demanded millions in compensation. Eight years later, on December 23rd, 2015, Kentucky settled with Purdue for $24 million. The Kentucky case is important. We're going to come back to that in a little bit for a reason. Do you know the total number uh, that Purdue's had to pay out over this whole? I don't know if I have the total number exactly that would be interesting to know like out of all the lawsuits they've Mm -hmm. had to pay out everything i'll see if i can find that maybe i can post that on like social media or we can do a tiktok okay a little quick tiktok about it sounds good as a supplement in january 2017 the city of everett washington sued purdue based on increased costs for the city from the use of oxycontin as well as purdue not intervening when they noted odd patterns of sale of their product the allegations say Purdue did not follow legal agreements to track su- suspicious excess ordering or potential black market usage. And the suit says false clinics created by unscrupulous doctors used homeless individuals as patients. That's terrible. Wow. To purchase Oxycontin and then sold it to the citizens of Everett. Wow. The black market sale of the drug out of legal pharmacies based in Los Angeles with distribution points in Everett is also said to be part of the experience of the city, according to the suit. No intervention was made by Purdue to contact the DEA for years, despite knowing of the practice and the overuse and sales of their product. 
the suit asked for a yet to be determined reimbursement related to cost of policing, housing, healthcare, rehabilitation, criminal justice system, park and recreations department, as well as to the loss of life of compromised quality of life of the citizens of Everett directly. So yeah, that's, hmm. that is, that's crazy. crazy but yeah. they, I don't see why any of that would be a lie or embellished for what they should be saying right to Purdue, mm-hmm. honestly. In May, 2018, six states, Florida, Nevada, North Carolina, North Dakota, Tennessee, and Texas filed lawsuits charging deceptive marketing practices, adding to 16 previously filed lawsuits by other states and Puerto Rico. By January 2019, 36 states were suing Purdue Pharma. There you go. 36 states. That's a lot. It's almost everybody. Yeah. In 2019, Massachusetts Attorney General Maura Healy filed a lawsuit against Purdue Pharma, which also claimed eight members of the Sackler family were personally responsible for deceptive sales practices and, in fact, had micromanaged a deceptive sales campaign. In response, the company said there was a rush to vilify. Really? I think it's it's appropriate. They're trying to basically saying they're trying to make the the company into the villains of the opioid epidemic. But seems accurate to me. So Purdue had started, I think we talked a little bit about this, the Oxycontin savings card program in 2008. We talked about it. Patients received discounts on their first five prescriptions. Yeah. Internal company data showed these discounts led to 60% more patients stay on Oxycontin for longer than 90 days. The court filing for Massachusetts stated that Purdue determined that opioid savings cards worked like a teaser rate on long-term and very high stakes mortgage. So basically, this is what I was saying. You you fill the Oxycontin for free or for a discount or whatever. I mean, by the time the coupon stops working. You get them hooked. Yeah, you're still going to be taking it and figuring out how to take it because you're addicted to it. Right. And so you're going to pay the full price. Yeah. So that's what Massachusetts said. Like, you know what you were doing to get these people stuck and feel like they have to continue to take the medication. In March 2019, Purdue Pharma reached a $270 million settlement in a lawsuit filed by Oklahoma, which claimed its opioids contributed to the deaths of thousands of people. That's a lot. $270 million in 2019. So yeah. that's crazy. All right. In August 2019, Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family were in negotiations to settle the claims for a payment of 10 to $12 billion. I believe this is with the, the multiple states suing thing. Okay. All right. The settlement would include a Chapter 11 filing by Purdue Pharma, which is bankruptcy, mm-hmm. if, you, if you weren't aware which would be restructured as a public beneficiary trust and the Sackler family would give up any ownership in the in the company. So when the bankruptcy plan would take effect, Purdue Pharma would cease to exist. It would emerge as a new company called Noah Pharma. That's K-N-O-A. I have no idea what the deal is with that name, but Noah Pharmacy LLC, which would be owned by the National Opioid Abatement Trust an entity, an entity controlled by the creditors of Purdue. Okay. So that's who would have essentially, that's 
the owners of the the company. So I'm it's no longer Purdue Pharma. I'm assuming whenever the drug sales sells, mm-hmm. they get the money. Yeah, that should be going to that National Opioid Abatement Trust. Right. Addiction treatment programs currently developed by the company would be given to the public cost free. And all profits of Purdue would henceforth go to the plaintiffs in the case. On top of that, the Sackler family would contribute $3 billion in cash. The family would also sell Mundy Pharma, which I, Mundy Pharma might be there, what they owned like overseas in England or over there, I believe. Because I, I, my understanding was they were selling off like the European division too. Why is that? Well, I think people in Europe are kind of pissed at them too. Ah. I did not, you know what? That's another thing we can maybe do a, maybe a TikTok dive into. Right. What was going on in Europe with the same thing? Because I focused on America, but, and they would sell the Monday format and contribute another $1.5 billion from the sales proceeds to the settlement. However, the Sackler family would remain a billionaire family and would not be criminally charged for contributing to the opioid crisis as you were just saying a second ago. In September 2019, the office of the New York Attorney General accused the Sackler family of hiding money. I'm sure they are. By wiring at least $1 billion from the company accounts to personal accounts overseas. I'm sure. I'm sure they are correct in that too. So this continues. In October 2020, Purdue agreed to an $8 billion settlement. That includes a $2 billion criminal forfeiture, a $3.5 billion criminal fine, and a $2.8 billion, $2.8 billion in damages for its civil liability. It will plead guilty to three criminal charges, and it will become a public benefit company under a trust that's required to consider American public health, which we were just talking about that, that opioid Uh, The Sacklers will not be permitted to be involved in the new company. And as recently as March of this year, March 2022, a settlement agreement moved forward requiring the company to provide $10 million to the nationwide fund, which would be managed in large part by local and state governments. So this is what I'm saying when this is like still going on. So they're paying out all this money, but that Mm -hmm. means they must have more money they're hiding. You think? So. You think? If they're still going to be a billionaire family? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So the company pleaded guilty to misbranding and fraud, fraud charges related to its marketing of OxyContin in 2007 and 2020. Members of the Sackler family have denied wrongdoing. Which is true. Now, there are some members of the family who are more like Arthur's relations. So Arthur had died before all of this. He was the original Sackler. I still don't think he was a great person, but some of those family members have kind of been like, yeah, I don't want anything to do with this. Don't associate me with this part of the Sackler family. But a lot of them who were directly involved in this whole thing, they, they don't think they did anything wrong at all. It's true. The, sure, that's a weird at uh, family get-togethers. I'm sure they don't get together with some of their family members I'm at sure. this point. The attorneys general for eight states and the District of Columbia who had blocked a previous settlement that included $4.3 billion in cash payments announced the deal after weeks of mediation with the Sacklers, which is, so they blocked the initial 
offering and they're like, "Mm -mm, no. So then they finally reach this sort of settlement. For their part, the Sackler family itself would contribute $6 billion to the total. In return, the family wants protection against future opioid-related civil lawsuits. Sackler family members would also, again, give up ownership of the company, which we already said. That's been a requirement this entire time. Mm -hmm. And Purdue said that the settlement would provide additional funding for opioid abatement programs, overdose rescue medications, and victims, while putting the company on track to resolve its bankruptcy case on an expedited schedule. And Purdue agreed to plead guilty in federal court in New Jersey to a three-count felony, charging it with one count of dual dual object conspiracy to defraud the United States. That sounds pretty crazy. Wow, that sounds really pretty big. And to violate the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act and two counts of conspiracy to violate the federal anti-kickback statute. So there you go. Those are all the, the charges. The criminal resolution includes the largest penalties ever levied against a pharmaceutical manufacturer, including criminal fine of $3.544 billion and another $2 billion in criminal forfeiture. For the $2 billion in criminal forfeiture, the company will pay $225 million on the effective date of the bankruptcy. And they agreed to a civil settlement in the amount of $2.8 billion to resolve its civil liability. Separately, the Sackler family has agreed to pay $225 million in damages. It's just, it's a lot of numbers <laughs> to yeah. keep track of. It just keeps going. Deputy Attorney General Jeffrey A. Rosen stated, the abuse and diversion of prescription opioids has contributed to a national tragedy of addiction and deaths, in addition to those caused by illicit street opioids. With criminal pleas, a federal settlement of more than $8 billion and the dissolution of a company and repurposing its assets entirely for the public's benefit, the resolution in today's announcement reaffirms that the Department of Justice will not relent in its multi-pronged efforts to combat the opioid crisis. So I don't know how good they're doing at all of this because I still think there's more options out there to help people who are actually suffering from addiction as we've talked about before, but I guess this was something going after the company. Today's resolution is a result of years of hard work by the FBI and its partners to combat the opioid crisis in the U.S., said Stephen M. Antunoo, assistant, I'm sure I did not say that right, assistant director in charge of the FBI Washington field office. He said Purdue, through greed and violation of the law, prioritized money over the health and well-being of patients. The FBI remains committed to holding companies accountable for their illegal and inexcusable activity and seeking and to seeking justice on behalf of the victims for those who contributed to the opioid crisis. So there you go. But basically, everyone in the, the U.S., you know, attorney general and all that are happy. Them. And well, they're happy that they've they're coming to some sort of resolution and with public benefits what do you think is going to happen to them after all this is done after they're just gonna live quietly probably they're not well not all of them I, i i do have some information as to where some of them are and what they're up to as far as Sackler family descendants and whatnot what are that what's that well i'm not telling you yet because it's not in my show notes yet oh it's at the end okay so don't think do things out of order okay jeez i'm just kidding 
All right, so we're going to go back to Kentucky, okay? Okay. And the depositions involved there. So lawyers for the Kentucky Kentucky Attorney General's Office were taking Richard Sackler's deposition as part of the state's lawsuit, alleging that the family business, Purdue, illegally marketed OxyContin, okay? So Sackler who at various times has been Purdue's president and co-chairman of the board, testified for more than eight hours as a court reporter recorded the proceedings. And the video was obtained by ProPublica. They have a website. And they showed all eight hours of it? You can sit and watch. I've seen the, I've not seen it like I sat and watched it, but like, yes, I believe you can watch the entire eight hour deposition online now. The lawyers asked Sackler about his role in the company, what decisions he was involved in, whether he thinks Purdue played a part in the crisis and has resulted in you know all of these deaths since 1999. Despite hundreds of lawsuits against Purdue stretching back well over a decade, the August 2015 deposition is believed to be the first time any member of the Sackler family was questioned under oath about their role in marketing OxyContin. So okay. I thought that was really interesting you already talked about the the outcome we have some of the excerpts of the deposition available so we're going to listen to some of them okay yes so the first one richard sackler was questioned about how much money he and his extended family have made from the sale of oxycontin so we're going to start with that one could you state your name please Richard Sackler. How much money has Purdue, Frederick, or Purdue Pharma made off the sale of OxyContin? I don't know. Okay. He Do doesn't you know, know how much the Sackler family has made off the sale of OxyContin? I don't know. He doesn't know. But fair to say it's over a billion dollars. It would be fair to say that, yes. Do you know if it's over $10 billion? I don't think so. Do you know if it's over $5 so. billion? I don't know. I don't know. That seems okay. clear as mud, does it not? Sorry, let me back that up. That seems super clear, right? I don't yeah. know. Mm, probably. Oh, he may not know. But he has some sort of general. He has an idea. Yes, where he could have said, oh, around or between these two numbers. But for him to just be like, I don't, I don't know. know. Oh, no. More than that. No, probably more than that. Like, come on, bro. Like, you have some sort of idea. Just yeah. saying. You have some sort of idea. Yeah. So in the second excerpt, lawyers for the state of Kentucky asked Sackler about emails showing Purdue created OxyContin for fear that its existing painkiller, MS Cotton, would soon face generic competition. And I know I had brought this up way back in one of the first episodes, that that was one of the things that they were doing. So let's look at uh, page two, the last paragraph. It says, our meeting ended with a question and comment period. Michael Friedman emphasized the threat that AB rated generics pose to MS Cotton. We're not sure when AB rated generics will be launched, but we don't think it will be until 1996. Inevitably, AB rated generics will arrive, and this is why it is of extreme timely importance that we must establish OxyContin. OxyContin can cure the vulnerability of the AB-rated generic threat, and that is why it is so crucial that we devote our fullest efforts 
now to a successful launch of OxyContin. Hmm. Um, did I read that correctly? You did. <clears throat> and who is Lydia Johnson? I don't know. Uh, this department. <laughs> I don't know who Lydia department. Johnson is. The marketing department. Is she right? doesn't know people in his own company. I just see a distribution list. I don't see a source. I don't know. It says that the department is marketing. But I don't know Good Lydia man. Johnson. I don't know who this person is. Maybe. Maybe. He's high up enough that you could be Maybe. like, I don't know. But you would think marketing one was of their most important jobs. It was of extreme timely importance that OxyContin be established because AB generics were going to arrive and compete with MSCon. No. no. The principal goal was to produce the best product we could and we believed when we started it and subsequently. Hmm. Should I stop? No, please. We believed it was and is a better product than MSCon. Hmm. Okay. I don't believe him. I don't think they do either. No. Mm -mm. Do not believe him because they literally have an email where they're concerned about the fact that generic competition is about to come on the market from MSCon. Right. They just told, they had the email. I'm like, come on, dude. So the next one we're going to look at, there's actually two videos associated with this. So in a 1997 email exchange that was read to Sackler, which I believe they'll read here, shows that the he supported decision by Purdue executives not to correct the misperception among doctors that Oxycontin was weaker than morphine. Remember, we've talked about this, that Oxycontin, Oxycodone is twice as potent, twice as strong as morphine and doctors were not thinking they sh I mean they should know but they weren't associating that they weren't thinking that and Purdue went along with it because they didn't want people to be afraid or doctors to be afraid to prescribe the medication that's what this exchange is going to be about they're going to basically question him about the failure to tell doctors about the relative strength of oxycontin and see how that may have benefited the company in the end okay with respect to oxycodone and morphine, um, do you know um, whether oxycontin is more powerful or less powerful a drug than morphine? It depends what you mean by powerful. Oh my God. Uh, if the question, if powerful means potency, absolutely. It is twice as potent as morphine. And we were very proud that we discovered this mm. um, first in animal studies and then in human studies. Mm. And we made it widely known, mm. um, perhaps even before the drug was introduced, but certainly in the package insert and all the promotional material. Did you think that if physicians thought it was stronger or equal to morphine, um, much less twice as strong as morphine, 
that they would be less likely to write prescriptions and sales of OxyContin would go down? No, uh, if, it, if its personality was changed, if it was stigmatized as an end-of-life drug, it could limit its usefulness. The term stronger here meant more threatening, more frightening. There is no way that this intended or had the effect of causing physicians to overlook the fact that it was twice as potent. It was called out in virtually every promotional piece of literature. It was reflected in a conversion chart, which we had developed for the few patients who were being treated with morphine, where we made it very clear if they're on any dose, daily dose of morphine, you cut that dose in half for oxycontin. It says, uh, very at the bottom, less potential abuse than other opioids. Do you know where that uh, claim came from? I don't know. Is this after the package insert? No. And you no. come up with that? That was before the package insert was approved. I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Mystery. Do you know whether OxyContin had less potential abuse than other opioids? I don't know. He doesn't know. refers to. It's a great mystery to him, this entire thing. He says, since oxycodone is perceived as being a weaker opioid than morphine, it has resulted in OxyContin being used much earlier for non-cancer pain. Physicians are positioning this product where Percocet, Hydrocodone, and Tylenol with codeine have been traditionally used. So he's saying here, physicians are using it because they think it's weaker than morphine, correct? He's using the word weaker, but not meaning less potent than morphine. What does he mean? Within... At this time, it appears that people had fallen into a habit of signifying less frightening, less threatening, more patient acceptable as under the rubric of weaker or more frightening, more uh, less acceptable um, and less desirable under the rubric or word stronger. But we knew that that the word weaker did not mean less potent. We knew that the word stronger did not mean more potent. And we knew that because by this time, surely, anybody who was using this product recognized it was more potent. They knew it was more potent. So it's very unfortunate for your understanding, as well as anybody else's understanding, that, that all those issues of the stigma of morphine, of the frightening nature of morphine, of morphine being a cancer drug, end-of-life drug, it's a very unfortunate for your understanding and for most people's understanding that the word weaker and stronger was used. Yeah. We understood what it meant. We're, we're not done reading it yet, but let me ask you this. What does that mean? You were advised by your senior... Uh, employees that 
physicians perceive oxycontin controlled release as less strong than morphine. Uh, many physicians perceived it that way. Uh, correct? Words used, but didn't mean that they believed it was less potent because I knew they believed it was more potent. Their own practice proved that they recognized it was more potent. As I said before, Percocet was five milligrams. Did you do any studies yourself or conduct any investigation to determine what percentage of physicians believed that OxyContin controlled release was less powerful than morphine and one were not aware it was twice as strong as morphine? You're talking about less potent? Yes. I don't know of such studies, but in common parlance and discussions with physicians, if really a substantial, if, if any substantial number of them believed believed in the believed in an, had an erroneous belief, excuse me, if any had held an erroneous belief and said to a representative, oh, this is this stuff is is less potent than morphine. The salesman was had ample materials to demonstrate to the physician that he was in error and was instructed to use those and did use it. And I wish we had a survey, had done a survey to demonstrate it in retrospect, but it was so generally accepted that it was at least one and a half times more, more potent by even the skeptic, most skeptics, and there weren't many, but generally recognized to be twice as potent as morphine. It just never occurred to us. Sure, and it's your belief that your sales force was telling these physicians that uh, it's actually twice as strong as morphine and correcting that misperception that they had? Absolutely. What do you think? I, I personally don't think he was doing that, but... Uh, me neither. I mean, you're, you're the CEO. You don't know what's going on. He knew what was on day-to-day -day operations. He knew what was going on. You think he knew what going Michael on. Eisner knows exactly what each division Michael is Eisner doing? Michael Eisner is not trying to kill people. You're right. With the medication. But you're absolutely right. That but, he developed. But I'm trying to play both sides here. I don't want to play both sides because this <laughs> guy is an idiot. And the fact that they said to him this whole idea, they read this, this note or email, whatever it was, to him which said this exact thing about the, the weaker and all that. And he's just like, that's not what that means. What could, what could that mean, bro? What could that mean? I don't know about you, but when you look up the definition of weaker, less strong, whatever, it's the same damn thing. This motherfucker right here. <laughs> this motherfucker. He, he was just dancing around the question. That's not what that meant. No, no, no. These, everybody knew. Nobody knew. You didn't know. They put John Percocet. Which one was stronger, morphine or Percocet? Did you know? I did not know. He didn't know. No one talks about that. Doctors don't explain that to people. He's he's implying everybody knows, right? Everyone right. knows. I found that later that more morphine is actually less potent than Percocet. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't if if they would have put me on morphine first, that would have been fine with me. This dude. Mm. Anyway, moving on. Our next video 
Sackler is going to basically debate whether patients could develop a tolerance to Oxycontin as stipulated in the 2007 agreed statement of facts. So in the original lawsuit. Were you aware that certain healthcare providers were being told that they could stop therapy abruptly without experiencing withdrawal symptoms? Uh, and that patients who took OxyContin would not develop tolerance to the drug. No. Okay. And that statement is false, correct? <laughs> no, it's it's it it's not clear to me it's false. But I am <laughs> eager not to not to good. contend with it. Um, it says certain healthcare providers and it the rest of it is conditioned really in large measure on in the first case the dose that the patient is on and the second case in the duration that the patient is on but reading between the lines as i suspect um, those who shape this did and understood what the government i can accept it as being a reasonable expression of, of improper conduct that is certain healthcare providers might have been told regardless of dose or regardless of duration but had i known about this i would have alerted our attorneys who are negotiating this that this ought to be a little bit more specific because it's going to be difficult to agree with it the way it's written. But I'm, I won't quibble with it. Well, there was actually a whole lot of back and forth on this document. There may have been, but it wasn't with me. So essentially, he's saying that the way that they worded the final agreement, he doesn't agree with it. That's what he's saying. Yeah. In this settlement that they finally came to. Well, if I had been involved, we wouldn't have worded it this way. The fuck you talking about, dude? And the whole question was essentially, you know, people could die if they just stopped the medication abruptly because of the tolerance and addiction. So then he doesn't. Yeah, I don't know if that's true. So it's yes. The answer is yes. They clearly it's yes. Okay. Clearly, dumbass motherfucker. Okay. Near the end of the deposition, Sackler was asked if Purdue was responsible for the epidemic of opioid addiction in Kentucky. So this will be our last little deposition. Sitting here today, um, after all you've come to learn as a witness, do you believe Purdue's conduct in marketing and promoting OxyContin in Kentucky caused any of the prescription drug addiction problems now plaguing the Commonwealth? I don't believe so. Sitting here today, after all you've come to learn as witness, do you believe that Purdue's conduct in Kentucky has led to an excessive or unnecessary amount of opioids being located throughout the Commonwealth of Kentucky? I don't believe so. Do you believe that any of Purdue's conduct has led to an increase in people being addicted in the Commonwealth of Kentucky? No. And there you have it. No. No. He doesn't think they did anything wrong. 
They didn't contribute to this. They had nothing to do with that. I'm sure he still thinks that. I have no doubt that this man still thinks that. There are obviously more videos available. The whole, like I said, the whole eight hour deposition, I believe is on the internet. If you want to watch it, there's no way I could sit and watch this dumb fuck for eight hours. (laughs) If you want to spend your day doing that, go ahead. But there's just no way I could do it. So I appreciate, I got this from Stat Wars, I believe is the website. Stat, oh, I'm sorry. Statnews.com. Thank you. I got, I appreciated your choices in the deposition and what you posted and that's what i used i did not use all of them they actually had more available but i was trying to be more relevant to what we had been talking about in specifics so there's more available out there if you want to continue to watch and i i would at least check out a little bit of the deposition so you can see how this man is because i know we've said it before but the way he was portrayed in the hulu series was driving me bonkers when we were watching it because i'm like god this guy talks so slow and it's so weird but it was an accurate interpretation of how he really, truly is. And you can see it in this deposition. Some of those long pauses, yeah, that that was in there. This was not my video freezing. That was just him taking his sweet time. You definitely tell he thinks about everything he says before he says it. Mm -hmm. Because he doesn't want to indict himself. Mm -mm. No, so that's why he doesn't know anything. I don't know. I don't know this person. I don't know what you're talking about. He's basically pleading the fifth essentially without saying it just i don't know i don't know i have no idea i don't know how much money we made i don't know Mm, okay i'm sure you didn't talk about your shareholders meeting but sure okay (sighs) so the size of the sackler contribution was a source of controversy throughout purdue's bankruptcy case sackler family members had taken out more than 10 billion dollars from the company in the decade before it filed for bankruptcy and they had a net worth of 14 billion dollars in 2015. wow Hmm. yeah so when you're saying that they're still billionaires they're still billionaires it's an accurate statement more than 140,000 people have filed legal claims legal claims against Purdue, but they have not gotten as much of the public attention as the aggressive lawsuits that were filed by cities and counties, states and whatnot, which makes sense because you're not going to see necessarily every person that files, you know, lawsuits Mm -hmm. against them. While state and local governments will divide up billions from the Sacklers and Purdue for treatment and prevention programs, and uh, if the current draft or some approximation of the Purdue bankruptcy and settlement plan were adopted, individual victims will get far less. They can apply for compensation from a fund of up to $750 million and would be able to collect amounts ranging from $3,500 to $48,000. That's it. And I don't know what the requirements are as far as the range of those numbers, but yeah, just it sounds like a lot of money. It's not. But when you look at the victims out there, the individuals, yeah, it's not, especially for what a lot of these people probably went through with family members and maybe themselves with this entire thing. Parents and guardians of about 6,500 children with a history of neonatal abstinence syndrome. So that's basically the babies are born and they're addicted to the opioids because their parent mom was addicted to opioids and took them while she was pregnant. That's that's what this is. 
they may receive about $7,000 each. And many must show proof that OxyContin was directly implicated, which is a high bar given the passage of time and difficulty locating a lot of medical records. And especially, I'm sure some of these children or maybe a lot of the children, their mom maybe didn't survive or maybe they were taken from the parents because of abuse situations. You know, don't want to give a baby back to somebody who's maybe not going to be able to take care of it. Right. Yeah, that may be part of that too, but I don't know any more specifics about that. So now we get to your favorite segment. Where are they now? But you've asked me like 10 million times over no, the course of this show. And I've always said, I don't know where they are. Let me find out. Now, Richard Sackler, I'm confused. I spent more time than I wanted to trying to figure out where the fuck he is. I don't know. I'm a little unclear. So I'm going to give you what I have. One site said that Richard lives in Florida, but I couldn't really verify that 100%. Okay. Or tell you where so we could go punch him in the face. I wouldn't do that. I want to, but we wouldn't. But the fact that he's like would be so close makes me almost want to, just on behalf of everybody who's suffered but there was also an article in the new yorker that said richard sackler moved to austin texas in 2013 and that he had a house on the outskirts of the city in a mansion atop a hill okay and what i saw though was that he owned the home from 2013 to 2018 and he sold it so that's why i'm like i don't really know what happened in between i really could not find out other than one place that said he lived in Florida, but there was like no substantiating information. He's probably hiding. So he's somewhere, but I can't tell you exactly where he is. Mortimer Sackler lived in London at the time of his death. So he has passed away. His widow, Teresa, lives in England and children, which includes Mortimer Sackler Jr., Kathy Sackler and Eileen Sackler are all former board members and they were named in lawsuits and they, they live, some of them live in England. Some of them live in new England, still like in, you know, fancy places and they're kind of spread out a little bit. Like castles. I mean, none of them live in small homes. Yeah. They have money, so they're not living in smaller homes. What I thought was interesting is that Richard Sackler's son, David and his David's wife, Joss, had actually given an interview somewhat recently for magazine profiles published. Um, I says earlier this year, but I can't remember if it was 2022 or 2021. I'm sorry, I thought I wrote it down, but recently they gave interviews that, and they were breaking the silence from the Sackler clan when it comes to speaking publicly. I read a little bit into this and looked a little bit into Joss, who seems like a mega I'm going to say bitch probably could use a stronger word for her in the <laughs> fact that she's basically like, why is everybody asking me about this stuff? Like you married somebody who directly profited from all of this. So you deserve some shit, you know, you, you deserve to get some shit on you. And she, they live in Florida. They live in Florida. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they are living near Boca Raton in a sprawling mansion bought for $7.4 million. Okay. David Sackler formerly served as a Purdue Pharma board member. And um, 
the Sacklers home purchase took place shortly before Purdue Pharma filed for bankruptcy. Imagine that. Seems like good timing, right? To to buy your home right before the company files for bankruptcy. So they bought it, and so they didn't have to claim it on the bankruptcy? Mm, Yeah, because they bought it before that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, they basically had fled the negative attention they were receiving in New York to seek their home in near Palm Beach or Boca Raton. So they left New York because they were getting negative publicity in the news. And he had, um, David Sackler had surfaced in headlines in 2018. It was reported that he paid $22.5 million in cash for a Los Angeles mansion. And he told Vanity Fair uh, his family had been vilified because they had not publicly told their story. Like, shut up. Like, what? Like, they're, they're the victims in this entire thing. But I know Joss, she does like fashion or something, I think is what she does. I think so. Yeah. And that's why she was just like, oh, you should be asking me about my clothes. I mean, but you know, you're going to get asked questions about right, this entire right. thing because you married somebody directly involved in it. Right. And then you get mad about the the whole thing. Yeah. But yeah, she has made some like salty statements to the media and whatnot. Well, so. she's a Sackler now, so. Yeah. So she she does not feel bad about any of this either. So I can't imagine that David does either. But again, there's like a lot of them, the Sackler clan and out and about, like I said, there are some, a fair number who live in England right now, especially Teresa and some of her kids live out there. And then a lot of them are still kind of hanging out up in New York, New England area, but none of them live in poor areas. No. They're not suffering. Definitely not. But these are the most interesting because I was trying to look up you know, more of the involved people. And then I got on this whole thing with Richard and his douchebag son and his wife. And yeah, I thought that was interesting. But again, Richard, not sure. Might be in Florida, might be in Texas. Don't know. Couldn't figure it out. He's hiding out in his bulletproof mansion. Somewhere. But there are definitely Sacklers in Europe too. Oh, I'm sure. So some of them I've gotten away from a little bit of this. But again, even in, if you look in, England and European places where they've donated over there. Some of them have also removed their names, just like here, where museums and whatnot have removed the Sackler name. The same thing happened over there. So it's not just here. Yeah. What a ride. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that wraps it up, at least for right now, until we think of something else we want to do a short. Yeah. Maybe video on or something. I really, I feel bad for the kids that are, were affected from all this and their parents. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the actual victims. Yeah. Yeah. Not the family, but yeah. Yeah. Not the family. I'm talking about the actual victims mm-hmm. part of it. Yeah. And especially, I mean, money will never make it better, but you just wish there was more justice. Money makes this. people accountable. But when you look at this family, I mean, they moved a bunch of money. It it didn't really make a difference to them. No. They still have lots of money. They're still doing other things. One of the Sacklers is like a documentary maker, filmmaker, something like that. Out in LA, I really? mean, yeah, they're they're doing things. So still. he runs like a studio or something. Yeah. Well, he has a lot of money, so he can exactly. They had money to start things like this too. So even if they're not getting money directly from the Sackler family fund. They still got money from them at some point so they could go out and start a business, start a fashion line, started 
right. studio. I mean, right. They still get all the benefits of it. And all of these other people are sitting out here with their, their kids are dead. Their parents are dead. Some other family member of theirs is dead. It's sad. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing's going to make up for that. Right. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. That is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all I got. I'm out of Sackler stuff for now. I'm sure we'll come up with another series to do within this series. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's very interesting. More updates to follow. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure they will be in the news. So yeah, we will see what else is happening. If anything changes. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys for tuning in. Mm-hmm. And until next time. Yeah, make sure you follow us on social media, please. Please, definitely. Check us out, yeah, at Limitless Broadcasting, at the Painful Truth Podcast, on Instagram, TikTok is 1950 Studios, which... And yours. Nobody's making videos for, but... We will. It's been... We've been all over the place lately. Lies. If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's at the Sam Lamb. That's at T-H-E-S-A-M period A period L-A-M at the Sam Lamb. And Robbie is at Robert 1950 Studios. Yep. If you want to follow his account too. And if you follow us soon, this episode will be coming out while we're in the midst of starting to pre-produce yeah, we, pre-production. Yeah, we're shooting short a short film. movie, a short film. Yes, so officially part of the Orlando Independent, independent filmmakers. filmmakers. Yeah, that will be shown in October. Yep, this year. So we're very excited. Yeah, to shoot that, and it's very hot here, so I'm not excited about that part. But. Yeah, not spending all day outside, but uh, it's oh. terrible. Uh, we'll make it happen, though. Yeah, but yeah. So if you follow us you can see some behind the scenes stuff with that too yep all right until next time thanks guys bye bye thanks for listening to the painful truth of living with chronic pain with robbie and sammy make sure you like follow and subscribe to the limitless podcast network's own channel instagram and all things social media and we'll see you all real soon